Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with your treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life, you'll have all you need, just receive with a willing heart. You'll be set for life, you'll be on your way any day you decide to start. You'll be set for life You'll be set for life They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it, he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he had done to Lachish. Let's just keep going. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with them to Hebron. And they fought against it, and they took it and struck it with the sword, its king, all its cities, and all the people who were in it. He left none remaining. According to all that he had done to Eglon, he utterly, but utterly destroyed it, and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to Debir, and they fought against it. And he took it and its king, and all its cities, They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining, as he had done to Hebron. So he did to Debir and its king, as he had also done to Libna and its king. I think this army is probably very tired by now. (laughs) But man, they're just wiping everybody out. They're wiping everybody out. And he gave that picture, this is what your victory looks like. So let's go do it. Joshua here now sealed the doom of southern Canaan. He sealed sealed it for them. It's done. Now remember, this is because of a curse that was pronounced in Noah's time. It's called the curse of Canaan. And that was pronounced from Noah's son who mocked and seriously insulted Noah right after Noah's efforts of building the ark, which saved all of them. You know, you save, you do all this work, save everybody in the family. The first thing they do off the boat is they're going to insult dad. That's not the right thing to do. That was a, a very, and, uh, culturally, that was, that was about the worst thing you could do. And so he had to pronounce a curse in Genesis 9.25. He said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And so now all these years later, this curse is playing itself out. It's playing itself out in Joshua's success. Friends, sin is never good. Sin never turns out good. And it, it doesn't, well, it's my life. I can do what I want to. It, it's, my, it's just me. You think Canaan thought about that? During the time of Noah, what was going to happen all these years later? Look at all these people that are getting taken because they're under a curse. The curse of Canaan. They are unrepentant. What if I'm under a curse, Ray? What if, I'm, what if there's a curse that happened up my family line and I'm under that curse? Repent and get saved and Jesus will break that curse. That's your way out. That's your only way out. This is very good. So he's taken all these cities out because of the curse of Canaan. 
Now he told the men to block off the kings in that cave to go finish everybody else off before they get back into their cities again. Now apparently there were some people that actually did make it back to their cities. We read in verse 20, it said, Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. So some people did get back. They got back home. And so this is why Joshua is now going and hitting all these cities. He's going around knocking them all out. He has to destroy all those that got away. And Joshua is not going to stop until absolutely 100% of the work is totally finished. Because God promised him that all this work will be finished. Remember Joshua 10 and 8. God said, not a man of them shall stand before you. It's all got to get done, guys. It all has to get over with. And that's why he's pushing so hard right now, taking all these cities, because they've all got to go down today. And he's got an extra long day to do it. Well, that's the reason he commanded the moon and the sun to stand still, so that Israel could finish the work of God's promise to take out every man. And so in verses 28 to 39 that we went through, we see every city that Joshua went to finish off. It was Makedah, Libna, Lachish, Gezer, and Eglon. Joshua took out all the southern cities that guarded the south entry into Israel. And in verse 36 and 38, it says that Joshua also drove deep into the heart of the southern region and took it to the two major walled cities of Hebron and Deber. So he's knocking the whole whole south end out. Because anybody that's going to come in through Israel would come up through here. Let's take it all out of the south. And that was a strategy that I think Nebuchadnezzar actually ended up trying to do. Take out the south. That's a very military strategic move here. But I noticed that Jerusalem is not mentioned. Remember the king of Jerusalem, Adonai Zedek, the king, the, the Lord of righteousness, he called himself. Yeah, baloney. If you're the Lord of righteousness, why are you coming against Israel? You're a false god. Israel, uh, Jerusalem's not mentioned here. It's not one of the cities. There could be a few reasons for this that I was thinking. Uh, one possible reason is that perhaps all of King Adonai Zedek's army of Jerusalem was killed in the slaughter. Could be. And so they didn't need to go to Jerusalem. But however it went down, whatever happened in this case, we're going to see later in history, in 2 Samuel 5, it describes the, it describes the conquest of Jerusalem under David. David goes and he takes Jerusalem. And David makes that the city of David and decides to rule there. Plus, I'm inclined to believe that Joshua took care of Jerusalem's army according to verse 40. Here's another reason why I think they were taken care of already. Joshua 10 and 40. So Joshua conquered all the land. There it is. All the land. The mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings, he left none remaining but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. That's a big one right there. He destroyed all that breathed as God commanded it to be done. I stress this because I'm still trying to convince everybody biblically, I'm still trying to get everyone to calibrate in that sin is a bad, bad thing. Do not take it lightly. God sees sin like this. Take it out. It has to be taken out. Again, he utterly destroyed all that breathed, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. Now, verse 41, And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh, Barnea, as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. 
All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. That is good, guys. He took it all at once because the Lord fought. Verse 43, Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. And so here now, this passage here gives us finality. Because this is a long battle. The sun stopped and everything. I want to know what gets done here. <laughs> Finish the story up. He took care of all of it. He got all of it because the Lord God fought for Israel. This was an impressive sweep of victories done by Joshua and the Israelite army. Now, my seminary education that I've been through is on Christian leadership. That's the, that's the title of my degrees, Christian leadership. And so I'm very intrigued with what Joshua did here, because he's one of the toughest leadership styles in the Bible. I mean, this is no easy work here. And so you've got to have a tough-as-nails leader to pull this stuff off, and a leader has to get his people behind him to go do the works. He, Joshua couldn't do this all by himself, but he had to be tough, and God used him for this conquest. And so a military general is going to be understandably, how should we call it, blunt? <laughs> A general, a military general is going to be blunt. He's going to do what has to get done, and let's move on. Well, that's, that's pretty, pretty harsh. What, do you want to smell some roses first? I mean, he's going to do what has to get done. And I, I, want to, I didn't put this in my notes, but I want to say this real quick. A lot of people in the world think that this is an ungodly characteristic, to be blunt and do the work needs doing and move on. And I've had people say, well, Ray, you're not supposed to be like that. Well, wh well, why not? It's very biblical. When things have to get done, you do it. When you got set up for church and you got to study and produce a, a sermon, get after it. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with adamantly being about God's service and doing what God says to do when people want you to do other things. Joshua had things to do, and he was very blunt. Now, we have this great wave of military victories. And Joshua made this ma major leadership moment that I noticed here to inspire his men before they finished the job. Back in verse 24, when Joshua ordered the captains to put their feet on the necks of those kings. Oh gosh, could you ever do that today? Oh no, that's so politically incorrect. That's ungodly, Ray. You can't do that. Well, I'm not going to put my feet on nobody's neck. But figuratively speaking, we have to be blunt. Come on, Ray, let's go to the bar tonight. No. Why? Because that's wrong. Well, you telling me I'm... i got to be blunt. i got to tell people where my path is in the Lord. I have to be direct. Well, Ray, you offend me by saying... Sorry. I catch it all the time. I was talking to a friend recently. He, we were talking about his uh, possible calling. And I said, you realize when you, if you step into this calling, you're probably going to lose all your friends and all your family. Because all of a sudden you're supposed to be this ultra-sensitive Mr. Nice Guy, and that's not the way the Bible is? you got to get in there and do it, buddy. <laughs> and so Joshua took a real leadership moment to inspire his men, and it took an extreme way to do it. Step on their necks. Basically, Joshua wanted them to lock on here, calibrate, come into this moment to give them the best illustration possible that this is what victory looks like. With those men having their feet on their necks, this is what victory looks like. And this is what we have to go do. We have to be about it like this. Now give me that sword and I'm going to strike them and I'm going to kill them all. As Americans, 
that we like to debate everything and what should and shouldn't be done according to our opinion, people will take this story and say, I can't believe in a God like this. You need to believe in a God like this. He's very wrathfully, seriously against sin. The best thing to do is get under the blood of Christ where His grace is at. But if you're not there, God has to deal with sin. But let me move on. I'll make my point. He, he wanted the men to see this is what victory looks like. If Joshua could just get his men to come into the, this one moment, that this is what victory looks like, then he knew his men would fight in victory with total assurance in the promise that God gave them that every man is going down today. Every man's going down today. The men needed to get this in their mind. Everybody's going down, and we need to fight like that. And so Joshua killed the kings and hung them on a tree until evening, and then threw them back in the same hole they'd been hiding in. Now the reason they took the bodies down in the evening is because the law states in Deuteronomy 20 and 22, 21 and 22, it says, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. So I want to tell you about another king that went through this very same thing. His name is King Jesus. He was hung on a tree. He was hung on a cross because he was accursed of God. He was accursed on our behalf that he could die for our sins, which are deserving of death. And they took Jesus' body down from the cross that evening, according to the law, and buried him. But I want to show you something about the kings that Joshua killed and buried real quick. It said in Joshua 10 and 27, it says, They cast them into the cave where they had been hidden and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. And so we see that the stones of their burial remained. Their stones stayed there keeping their tomb sealed shut. Now I want you to look at the difference in King Jesus in John 20 and 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. These kings that were buried, these sinful kings, their stones remained. But King Jesus, three days later, his stone is gone. Big difference. And those of you that have been to Israel with me, you've been to that tomb, and that stone's nowhere around, is it? I would always imagine, like you see in the pictures of a tomb with a stone like five feet off to the side, that stone's not there. There's a a track that runs in the ground against the wall that would have kept the stone there. It's like a little groove. There's no stone there. Either it's demolished and gone, or the angel flung it like a frisbee into the sun. I don't know. It's gone. It's not there. And so I want to make a major leadership, leadership moment here, just like Joshua did, to show you. Think about that tomb with the stone rolled away. This is what victory looks like. This is what victory looks like. And if I can just get you to calibrate to this moment that this is what victory looks like, then you can fight the good fight in the victory of Jesus with total assurance in the promise that God gave you that this is what victory looks like. Joshua had to get that into his men's minds 
This is how we're fighting from now on. That open tomb is victory. We need to get that down in our minds that that's the victory we fight from. Can we go out and fight like that? This is what victory looks like. Too many of us today are calibrated to the wrong things. And it's got us all out of sync. Some of us are calibrated to money. Some are calibrated to the economy or government. Calibrate to the victory of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. Calibrate to that and fight your battles from that. I saw in the, in the news that the, major, the, the average lifespan is declining because of despair. They're calibrated to the wrong thing. If you calibrate and get your mind and your spirit, your heart, on the fact that Jesus raised from the dead, you won't succumb to despair. You'll have hope. You'll have something to march from. You'll have assurance. Just like Joshua gave to his men. He gave them assurance. And they went out and tore it up. Friends, we have been given victory through Jesus Christ. Now get out there and tear it up for the gospel. This is what victory looks like. Joshua knew God's promise. And you know, Jesus being raised from the dead, you'll be able to walk with assurance knowing that you will be raised from the dead too. Now that's a promise of God. That if Jesus raised, so do we. Now Joshua knew God's promise and that's what he worked from. And he did not stop until all the work was done. He didn't quit until it was all over with. Because it says in verse 20, Israel made an end of slaying them till they had finished. Until they had finished. Jesus knew God's promise, and so he did not stop until all his work was done either on the cross. Joshua, uh, John 19 and 30, he said, it is finished. It's done, guys. It's finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. You know, there's a lot of similarities between Yehoshua and Yeshua. Joshua and Jesus. Lots of similarities between Yehoshua and Yeshua Jesus. Yeshua Jesus was slayed for our sin nature. Yehoshua, Joshua, slayed a sinful people. Either way, the sin is going down. Either way, the sin is going down. It's either going down on the people or it's going down on the Messiah. You choose how it works out for you. It was dirty work. And it was barbaric, it was destructive, but it had to be done. Now, I hope from this comparison between Joshua and Jesus, you can see how destructive sin is. If you've already given yourself to Jesus, this should heighten our awareness to live by keeping with repentance daily. Repentance is a daily thing. You do realize that, I hope. (laughs) It's not, well, I repented 20 years ago, I'm good. No, repentance takes continual work. Repent daily. But if you have not given your life to Jesus yet, then please understand that your willful sin is going to leave you dead in a hole in the ground somewhere like those kings. And it ain't going to be nice. You're going to be buried, and those stones are going to remain. And you're never going to rise from that. You want to be with Jesus who rose up. 
Now, I'm not trying to sell you on a church. I'm not trying to sell you on joining. I'm not trying to get your name on a, a, a card somewhere so I can email you and say, you now belong to Calvary Chapel Pearland. That's not my job. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to tell you how you can have eternal life. And you cannot have eternal life if you're still walking in your sin. Doesn't work. You couldn't get to this church until you left your house. You can't get to Jesus until you walk away from your old life of sin. That's the way it is. He rose from the grave to life, which means death can never have him again. And if you're in Jesus, then you'll rise to life also, and death can never have you either. Now, if I can just make you calibrate onto this, then you'll see that this is what victory looks like. And from this victory, we can walk with assurance through the trials of life. And I say thank you, Jesus, for this immeasurable gift. I don't deserve it in the slightest. Now, I could close this message down right here, and everybody would be okay with it, except for me. So I've got one more thing to say. <laughs> I could have been done, and y'all been, oh, that was good. Okay, one more thing to say. Why, why have I got one more thing? Because the context of this story is about Israel. The context is about Israel. The Lord fought for Israel. Now, I made a parallel on what this story means for us, but I do not want to take away from the context that the Lord fights for Israel. If I do that, I'm guilty of what's called replacement theology, where I'm trying to steal from Israel to make it about us, when it's still about Israel. I don't want to do that. Now, I made a parallel for us. Let me put it back to Israel so I can go home and sleep at night. (laughs) The major point here is that God fights for Israel. This past week, hundreds of rockets have been launched at Israel. I have what's called, uh, it's an app in my phone, it's called Red Alert. And it goes off every time somebody launches against Israel, I get an alert. And that sucker has been going off and off and off and off. And it tells you what area the rocket went into as soon as it launches. As soon as they know, they, they alert it and it hits everybody with Red Alert. It's been going off a lot. We've never experienced that kind of hostility in America here. And so people need to understand that the Lord fights for Israel yesterday. He fights for Israel now. And you're really going to see him fight for Israel in the end times. It's coming. And so let's always keep our focus on God's people, the ones that we have been grafted into to receive the grace of Jesus. You know, it gets a little selfish when you're thinking all about yourself all the time while Israel's being attacked. Israel's got rockets being launched to them. And and do you pray for Israel? This church, we're going to keep Israel in your face. We're going to keep Israel in front of you so you don't forget. This is happening over there. What if rockets were plopping down out in that field outside? Would you feel safe here? It's happening in Israel. One way that we can keep our mind on Israel is that whenever you tell people about God, don't just call Him God. False religions call their supreme being God. Don't just call Him God. Get specific. Call Him by the name that He uses for Himself in Exodus 3.15, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jacob is the man who is renamed to be Israel. Basically, be specific and say God of Israel when you tell people who your God is. Say God of Israel.
Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time. Unless Jesus returns for us first, Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you through a line-by-line, verse-by-verse study in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless, you are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.